So does America appear in biblical prophecy? This question does come up, and uh, I thought it would be good to kind of come back around and talk about this a little bit again, because it does. this conversation does lend itself to some pretty important things that I think it's important for believers today to take into consideration. Uh, I believe we are living in days that will see the return of Christ, both in the rapture and the establishing of his kingdom. Uh, I know generations past have felt the same way, and uh, I do think we can look at things that are going on today, not just in certain pockets and areas of our civilization and such, but I think in many, many ways, very overtly so. It's, uh, it's getting to the point now where you don't really have to have any imagination to see how these things that the scriptures talk about in terms of a globalized, unified um, uh, civilization, societies, uh, governance, economy, all of these different things coming together. So we'll kind of touch on some of that today. I'm going to move a little bit quickly for time's sake. But to answer the initial question, does America, and if so, where does America appear in biblical prophecy? Um, well, to be honest with you, as far as, you know, does she or not, all I can really say with any certainty is that there is a definite maybe. Um, the reason I say that is because there's really only one passage in Scripture that could potentially speak specifically to the United States. And that passage would be found in Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 13. Now, as a thumbnail sketch of what's going on here, we have a number of nations mentioned in the beginning of the chapter uh, in Ezekiel's prophecy, and these nations are uh, ultimately coalesced to come together to attack Israel. Um, the nations include nations like Russia, Turkey, Iran, uh, parts of Europe, parts of northeastern Africa, uh, Ethiopia, Libya, and that kind of thing. Um, so as as we read chapter 38, you'll notice none of those names I just mentioned are there, but other strange-sounding names are listed instead. Well, those strange-sounding names actually are the ancient names of these territories that are now inhabited by um, lineage-wise the same people, but we know them under different names now. For example, um, starting off with there is this uh, God speaks against uh, Gog in the land of Magog. Well, Gog is a leader, and Magog is a place. And Magog, geographically speaking, today, when we consider the description that is given of it, leads us to believe that it is speaking of Russia. Therefore, the leader, Gog, of Magog would be the premier president leader of Russia. And so, uh, like if we were to put that in today's terms, if the Ezekiel 38 and 39 scenario unfolded tomorrow, then that would mean that Russia, under the leadership of Putin, will have coalesced a group of nations together to come against Israel. I like to say that because it sounds a little bit, you know, it sets you back for a minute because it puts it in real life. And this is how we should understand these things. These are really going to happen, events taking place in, in space and time, and I believe in our day uh, they'll come to be. Um, and there's reasons for that, by the way. Again, it's uh, um, uh, when, when we look at the nations that are listed in Ezekiel 38, we find that most, if not all of them, certainly most of them, have actually been armed by Russia in our modern day. And so there's a certain connection that Russia has with those nations, not only militarily in terms of arms, 
Uh, if you're a total nerd like I am, you know about like the S-400 missile systems and all those kinds of things. Uh, I don't know all about those kinds of things, but you'd be aware of those kinds of things because those are the kinds of armaments and training to utilize those armaments that Russia is providing. Various nations, nations like Iran, and uh, and her proxies are actually being trained to utilize some of these things as well. Proxies such as Hamas and Hezbollah, not to mention the Iranian Guard and such. As we see in the news, we learn about these groups, we hear about them, but sometimes we don't put together how they're connected uh, in the news and that kind of thing. Well, um, groups like Hamas and Hezbollah and that would be sort of proxy arms of Iran in terms of their ongoing conflict seeking to destroy Israel. So Ezekiel 38 and 39 unfolds a scenario that uh, lists these nations, uh, a number of nations that will ultimately come together under the leadership of Gog, who is the leader of this land of Magog, again, likely Russia, most likely Russia, who leads them in against Israel. Um, in that conflict, I, I guess I, I never like to talk about that conflict without pointing out a really key factor of it, and that is that throughout the conflict, we see that God interjects this idea into what's going to happen. And that is that he is going to very directly intervene in this conflict and deliver his people from these attacking hordes. He's going to come to bat for Israel, his beloved, his chosen people, uh, his wife, his unfaithful wife, as we see throughout the scripture. But um, but Israel, seen as kind of the wife of Jehovah, again, unfaithful as she is, but God remains faithful to her. And so when these nations come against her, God comes to, to bat for them. And he makes it known that he's getting involved. And, and there's this phrase that appears throughout the two chapters uh, relatively frequently, and it is that they may know that I am the Lord. So, for example, when it talks about these cataclysms coming down, um, I, I'm becoming less and less prone to sort of interpreting those in terms of modern warfare and that kind of thing, like missiles and nukes and those kinds of things. I think that, in fact, God is doing things supernatural during that time. I mean, time will tell. We'll, we'll see. But I would not be surprised. Maybe that's a better way to put it. I tend to lean toward the idea that when God goes to uh, comes to the aid of Israel, that he does so miraculously because his intention is that there be no ambiguity about the fact that he is in, he's getting involved. And he does this both for the benefit of his own people and also for the uh, benefit, quote-unquote, of those nations that ultimately he's going to set back. Uh, in the King James translation of the Bible, for example, in chapter 39, uh, 39 verse 2, I think it speaks about how God is going to sixth the uh, incoming armies in that. In other words, he's going to destroy five-sixths of them. Um, it's translated variously in the various English translations uh, and that kind of thing, but but one potential understanding of that is that that's how devastating God is going to make this uh, destruction of these invading armies. Now, all that said, uh, in that description in chapter 38, verse 13, we have these words regarding some other nations that are kind of involved in this. Uh, verse 13, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all her leaders will say to you, or to Gog and Magog and this invading army that is with them, um, with him and, and Russia, uh, have you come to see spoil? Have you assembled your hosts to carry off plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to seize great spoil? And so there's mention of a couple of other nations here now, Sheba and Dedan, and then Tarshish. Again, if we look geographically at what's in view, Sheba and Dedan is easy. That becomes what we today know as Saudi Arabia. And 
Um, Tarshish, on the other hand, is a little bit harder to know for sure. There's some debate as to who's in view here. Usually, by and large, it is understood that this is speaking of Britain. Uh, there is a case to be made that it's Spain in view, but we don't know that for sure. It does seem like, and I tend to lean toward the idea that this is Britain. Uh, now, in terms of Saudi Arabia, uh, it's really not a... Well, I guess I should maybe, before I mention that, when you look at the description of their involvement in this conflict, it's sort of a non-involvement. These two nations that are mentioned, and the young lions in connection with Tarshish, or the young leaders, it's as also variously translated, speak of, um, uh, or uh, when, it, when it comes to uh, Sheba and Didan, it's not hard to see why, with Tarshish, these, these countries are not actually getting involved. They're actually just sort of speaking against the invasion. Are you coming to take spoil? Are you really coming to do this? There's kind of a rebukish kind of a thing going on there, but not any real uh, involvement militarily. They're not coming against Israel, but they're not really fighting with Israel like on her side either. And uh, if, if with Sheba and Dina being Saudi Arabia, that's understandable because you know they are still an Arab nation. And so even though they have some ties developing with Israel, uh, they're doing business together, there's flights uh, from each of these two countries flying over each other's sovereign airspace and that kind of thing. There's some some softening and some melting of the ice between these nations a bit. But that being said, it's not hard to imagine why Saudi Arabia would not come against uh, Israel, uh, or I should say not fight with Israel against Arab nations should they come against her. Uh, it just, you know, blood is thicker than water and that kind of thing. And you, you generally, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine that, that Arabs would fight against Arabs on behalf of Israel. And so probably the case in that regard, as far as that explanation. Now, what about Tarshish? Well, if, if Tarshish represents Britain, and that would therefore mean her young lions would include the likes of Australia and the United States. And so this becomes the one place that could clearly speak to the United States' involvement in this and in, in biblical prophecy. Now, of course, that raises the question, why doesn't, if, if America is in view here, if the United States is in view, why don't they come to Israel's aid? I mean, aren't they our only democratic partner in the Middle East and that kind of thing? Why, why um, wouldn't we go to, to bat for them and, and, and such? Well, that has led to lots of speculation, lots of possible answers to that question. Um, typically, there's there's always in that conversation the possibility, what if there's a nuclear strike on the United States and therefore we can't? Or what if an EMP goes off and we are sort of paralyzed and unable to get involved or at least have bigger problems here than uh, would, would in, allow us to really get involved in that conflict? That's always been a possibility or possibilities. Um, I think a couple of modern possibilities uh, that I would also throw into the hat on that would, uh, one would simply be, that you know our current administration really has no interest in uh, taking Israel's side. Uh, there is in terms of just some rhetoric and that kind of thing, but the current administration is also uh, wanting to get back into the Iranian arms deal and that kind of thing, and and funding you know uh, Israel's currently Israel's most vocal and active adversary, wanting to see her destruction, is really not being a friend to Israel, and so. Um, uh, 
you know, it just may be that we don't want to get involved. And there's certainly not tons of national support for the idea of Israel at the moment. I mean, there's always the Christian contingent, Bible-believing Christians that believe in what God said to Abraham in Genesis 12 and uh, and the promises to Israel and all that kind of thing. We, uh, as, as, as Bible-believing Christians, I firmly believe we should be supporting Israel, but that voice may not be loud enough for the, for, for the current administration to listen to, uh, should a conflict like this one arise. Um, another possibility, and one that I might explore just for a minute or two, is that it's possible that because of our diminishing economic status in the world, uh, that is going to diminish our superpower status in the world, and we may not really have the wherewithal, or maybe the financial wherewithal, uh, or the financial issues may weigh heavily upon us enough to where it becomes a big enough issue to keep us from really investing anything in that fight. Um, it's no secret. I'm not going to go on too much of a tangent, but I do want to take just a minute on this. Um, let me mention a name, by the way, too, in, in this conversation. It's probably a good idea to mention before I forget. But uh, you may have become familiar with a video by a man named Ray Dalio. Uh, he's written a number of books, and his most recent has to do with the changing global world order. And uh, he put a video together that uh, I'll share here, by the way. It's insightful. It's getting a lot of traction, not just among prophecy people, because he's not a prophecy-minded person or anything. It's not like there's he's doing this to sort of line up with biblical prophecy. He's just simply taking a look at, at the way superpowers have come and gone and what has played a major role in their turnover over the centuries. And so he put a video together to help support the idea that he's putting forth in his book that basically amounts to this. I'll, again, I'll try and put a, uh, remember, put a link there. But um, the, the book, the way he describes it, and of course the video sort of, you know, animates this idea, that superpowers rise and fall in large part because their economic currency rises to become the currency that business is generally done with worldwide. And then at some point, some other nation's currency begins to take it over, becomes more powerful. And once it does, and that previous um, global, uh, not global currency, but the currency that is most widely used for business is sort of overtaken. Uh, and so therefore that nation whose currency that is begins to diminish in its, you know, reach and influence and such. Uh, for example, uh, one example of this would be with Britain. Britain was a superpower of its day and, and is still a significant, um, you know, presence in global politics and stuff and military and such. But really, in the day when it was, when Britain was in her heyday, um, you know, the British pound was uh, one of the major uh, measures, uh, currencies that was utilized in that. Well, eventually when the United States became a, a sovereign nation, our currency, our economic uh, influence, our, you know, influence around the world began to increase to the point where we overtook uh, Britain in that, in that seat. Or even Europe, you could argue, with France and Spain as well, also, um, you know, having a major contribution in that regard. Uh, the American economy has generally, for now, for generations, been seen as, you know, really just a few generations, uh, three to four, I think, is generally the statistic, uh, has been the predominant economic influence in the world. Uh, we have generally been seen as having the strongest economy. Um, our dollar has always generally be, been seen as very strong, even though uh, in the 40s and then ultimately in a very sort of final way in the 70s under Nixon, 
we removed ourselves from what had typically been the anchor of our economy, and that was the gold standard. Uh, Again, that really began much earlier. But in the 70s, Nixon kind of officially made that policy where we we separated our currency's connection with the gold standard. Uh, It used to be that literally a... Uh, a paper money or coinage in that was either contained or represented a certain amount of uh, of gold. It was worth a certain amount of gold, and that was backed up by what that nation's currency, what they had, like in Fort Knox and that kind of thing. Well, we officially moved away from that, and so now that's not a thing anymore. Uh, now our economy and many economies around the world are based on the strength, the perceived strength of that economy, and so. That being said, um, as it stands now, the fact that we continue to print money, causing inflation and all these different kinds of things, but we continue to print money uh, that isn't really backed up by anything, um, we find the strength of our dollar diminishing more and more. Add to that, and of course this is again a thumbnail sketch, add to that the fact that in China the yuan has risen to some pretty serious ascendancy financially. And there is discussion of the yuan now replacing the American dollar as the main currency of business globally. Well, should that happen, that becomes a pretty major change. I, I, I would say catastrophic change, but that remains to be seen. Theoretically, it becomes uh, an enormous change because not only is there a different form of currency being used, that is, but, but that is now seen as the primary currency. That is seen as the main currency. And the one that it's supplanted in this case, the American currency, confidence drops significantly. It no longer is holding on to that position of of influence. And so this becomes an issue as well. This may all contribute to why America does not participate when it comes to Ezekiel 38. Now, there is one other sense in which America does show up in biblical prophecy, but it's in the same sense that all of the nations in the world sort of are lumped together, as it were. Again, I'm being a little bit broad brush here, but essentially all the nations of the earth ultimately um, uh, um, are sort of put into a, a bucket, as it were, uh, as, as sort of this um, global unity that ultimately comes together under Antichrist. Well, biblically speaking, there's no reason to think that whatever form or influence or status that America has during that time, that she will be separated from that. Uh, when the nations of the world come together against Christ at his return in Revelation 19, um, there's no reason to think that, that America will not be part of that. Um, the shame of it in our country is that whereas we had very firm biblical principled roots to our formation of, for, to our form of government, to the way that our, our daily life was generally conducted in society, that, that day sadly has come to an end. Um, it is tragic. It is sickening. It feels like a death. And um, and it's unfortunately, uh, unless something dramatic happens, some move of the Lord turns things around, uh, it is hard to imagine us ever going back to that. And so uh, we would fall under what the Bible describes as the influence of Babylon, mother of harlots, all that kind of thing. Sometimes America is sort of associated with Babylon because of the uh, the influence and the wickedness that we are tend to be purveyors of uh, around the world nowadays and that kind of thing. But I don't think we're specifically Babylon but I think we fall under this same kind of um, influence and we fall under the system of that kind of thing. So does America appear in biblical prophecy? I think in those senses, yes. Potentially in uh, Ezekiel 38, verse 13, possibly, and then uh, as part of the rest of the... Hold on one second. 
Why dinner? Sorry about that. But, um, so yes, she does potentially, at least in terms of being part of the overall system that will stand in rebellion against Christ at his return, and then also possibly in Ezekiel 38. Um, now here's the thing. Um, that may come as a shock to some who maybe are just starting to dip their toe in the prophetic pool and trying to understand what's going on. But let me just encourage believers uh, in this. Um, this world was never built to last. The Bible makes that clear. From the minute of the fall, this world has been continually moving toward ultimately the end that God has ordained and prescribed and has described even in Scripture. Uh, there's a day coming when Jesus will return in and establish his kingdom. We see this again in Revelation 19 into Revelation chapter 20. Um, and then after chapter 20, after this final rebellion, after the millennial kingdom that uh, where, where Satan himself actually gathers up some from the nations to ultimately come against Christ in Jerusalem after he has reigned for a thousand years, then comes eternity. Then comes the beauty of being God's presence forever. Now, there's so much in between these things that, that we've talked about previously. We're going through it on Sunday mornings in the book of Revelation. I'm not going to spend all that time right here. I just would rather take time to say that if your concern is that this world is falling apart and the things that I've come to love and embrace here, even as an American, for those who are watching here among our American audience, um, remember something. A, this world, again, was never meant to last. Secondly, you and I are actually citizens of another place entirely. You and I are citizens of heaven. Paul actually says that in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He says, our citizenship is in heaven from which we look for the coming of our Savior. And so we're looking for him to come from our actual new home to come and get us in the rapture. And then finally after that, uh, at least seven years later, I think, again with respect and deference to those who hold different views on that, there's a coming kingdom he'll establish here that will rule and reign with him during that time. But then after that's all done, we're in heaven, in the presence of God and the throne forever and ever and ever. There is so much for us to be looking forward to. And the fact that the world is falling apart around us, uh, the fact that there is a very, very overt move toward globalism, it's no longer the stuff that uh, you read about and you know in in certain websites or whatever this is open now this is wi- widely spoken of um and so on that note i should probably insert here that you should check out if you're not already familiar with you should be looking at the world economic forum and klaus schwab who heads it you should be looking at um the international monetary fund you should be looking at some of the news that comes out of the world health organization or the united nations and uh and uh, agenda 2030 and that kind of thing I think it's important for us to be aware of what's going on around us because we are, in fact, moving in a very specific and decided direction. Now, that can be disheartening if you are holding on tightly to this world. But as believers, as Jesus said, even though we're in the world, we're not of it. As a matter of fact, in in, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul makes the point that not only are we not of this world, we're ambassadors to this world where we're bringing this message of reconciliation, calling out, pleading with people to be reconciled to God. That's our purpose. That's our position and place in this world and what's going on. So don't be disheartened. In this world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Jesus has overcome the world, and one day we'll see the physical manifestation of that when he returns and establishes his kingdom. So, Father, thank you so much for giving us a purpose and a place in your plans. We thank you, Lord, that one day we'll see Jesus face to face. 
One day he'll establish his kingdom. One day we'll see righteousness rule and reign, not just here in, in uh, uh, not just in Israel, where he'll ultimately set up that kingdom, but even around the world, even as that rock in Daniel chapter 2 is spoken of overcoming the whole world. We'll see that happen one day. So, Father, help us to be students of your word, understanding the days in which we live, and praying to you about what part we might play in that. Lord, we love you, we thank you and praise you for all that you're doing and all that you have done and all that is yet to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have thoughts, questions, or anything like that, as always, I'd uh, love to have you go ahead and just uh, send an email to Pastor Brian at CalvaryChapelFranklin.com. You can go on our YouTube channel and, and, and put notes in the comments section uh, and that kind of thing. I have a website at ParsonsPad.com as well. You can also comment and email me from there as well. But uh, again, we like to answer questions. We like to address things that come up. I've got a, a kind of a handful of questions. We're going to continue to make our way through in the days ahead. Uh, as we uh, also continue our study in Romans, verse by verse, I hope you've been paying attention in that one. That's such an important study for believers to dive into the, not just my study of it, but the study of the book of Romans is so essential to believers. Uh, let me encourage you to, to join in on that if you haven't already. Uh, and then, of course, we cover topical things and prophecy briefs and all that kind of stuff. So thanks for coming along. Thanks for watching and listening. And uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace forever. Amen.